0: The clock is ticking in the Delphi matter. Prosecutors change their timeline in the Murdoch case. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich and this is Crime Talk. We are on the road today. I'm actually coming to you from a phone booth here at the FBO in Grand Junction, Colorado. So before we get to the docket, you know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do. Leave me a comment and make sure you hit that little bell so you'll receive notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Just simply type in Crime Talk. All right, let's go ahead and get to today's docket. November 7th, 2022. Richard Allen, the man charged with the 2017 Delphi murders of Abby Williams and Libby German, remains in custody at an undisclosed state facility. Now, the Indiana Department of Corrections released a new mugshot of Allen, who has been moved to a state facility for his safety. He was previously transferred from the Carroll County Jail to the White County Jail. Now, as soon as the Indiana State Police announced that Allen's arrest and revealed that the murder charges filed against him uh, during a news conference on October 31st, the case is marked by a little bit of turmoil. Overwhelmed Carroll County Circuit Court Judge Benjamin Diner recused himself from the proceeding citing concerns about his personal safety and the tidal wave of media and public inquiries about the Delphi case. After the judge's recusal, the Indiana Supreme Court assigned the case to Allen Superior Judge Fran Gull. Allen's probable cause affidavits to remain sealed and the court had set November 22nd for a hearing to determine if those records would remain out of the public eye. Now, Allen faces two counts of felony murder, a charge that could be filed against the defendant who may not have actually killed somebody, but participated in the events leading up to the death. Now, for those who don't know, Abby Williams and Libby German disappeared on February 13th, 2017, while walking on the Delphi Trail. Their bodies were found a day later on February 14th. And while police have released some key evidence in the case, including an audio recording of the man saying, down the hill, and a pair of sketches and details about Allen's arrest are minimal. Now, according to court records, Allen's trial is down to scheduled for March 20th of 2023. And um, that's probably not going to happen. But utilizing phrases such as bloodlust, toxic, and imminent danger, the judge ordered that the Carroll County Sheriff to hand over custody to Richard Allen to the Indiana Department of Corrections for his own safety. The court stated in their order, the court finds that the defendant is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death or represents a substantial threat to the safety of others. The court wrote that in the order that was posted in the morning referring to a toxic and harmful insistence on public information about Mr. Allen's case. The public's lust for information before it exists is extremely dangerous to all public servants administering this action, and they do not feel safe and are not protected The same day the court made this order, the judge recused himself from the case. Now, Allen was arrested on October 26th, and the Indiana State Police Post in Lafayette one week after investigators searched his home outside Delphi, Indiana, for evidence linking him to the murders. Two days later, Allen's initial hearing was held behind closed doors without public notice. I think that's a big no-no. And when the troopers at the Indiana State Police but handcuffs on Mr. Allen, told him he was under arrest for the killing of those two girls, abducted on the monin High Bridge, east of Delphi. Well, the clock started ticking on his constitutional rights. Obviously, one of them is presumed innocent. Now, after the initial hearing, two days later, without the presence of a lawyer, he's moved from the Carroll County Jail to the White County Jail to the Indiana Department of Corrections for his own safety, which is apparently almost unheard of and the sealing of the probable cause affidavit detailing the case against him could give Allen and his counsel an opening to challenge the charges against him. All of that in conjunction or combination is extremely rare, and there's a constitutional presumption to open access to public access to the courts. Now, while the focus this past week has been on efforts by the media to get the charging information under the Indiana Open Records Act, Mr. Allen has a more pressing constitutional right To be fully briefed on the allegations that led to his arrest as set under court rules. Now, under these rules, it's also pretty much called for that those cases get unsealed when the warrant is served and the defendant is arrested. The post-arrest sealing of the information to a defendant who is already in custody is really rare, but as a result of his detention without notifying him of the nature of the charges or having an attorney or even able to argue that This could have been prevented from getting an attorney from being moved around. You know, it's a problem. In addition, he has a right to see what evidence is being used against him. Um, And him saying he wants to have an attorney see that, well, guess what? There could be motions uh, made to dismiss um, as well as motions to suppress. We'll have to wait and see. I'm telling you, we've talked about this before on Crime Talk, it is a problem when the courts don't think that the public can handle it or somehow going to prejudice a case. It's not. There's remedies for that. It's called change of venue. It can be done. So real big problem here. So as things progress, now we have the superior court judge Fran Gull and she was assigned by the uh, Indiana Supreme court, which is normal. When a judge recuses himself, the Supreme court will usually decide what's going to happen. So, because of the concerns about the uh, media and the public safety, that's why this new judge was appointed. Now, Alan told Judge Diener at the initial hearing that he intended to hire an attorney, faces a November 17th deadline to inform the court. Now, the first reaction that any defendant's going to have is, I want to hire an attorney. But given the fact that he's been moved, he can't access the phones, how is he going to be able to take care of this? He just can't go out and retain one? Then also, does he have the funds necessary to retain private counsel? Is he going to have to use the public defender? Well, if they're bouncing him around, they're not going to have an opportunity to talk with him either. So this case has been set for November 22nd. That was set before the judge recused himself to decide whether they're going to unseal the probable cause affidavit, which is absolutely completely fair for them to do. And Allen has an absolute right to see the charges against him. And the affidavit for the arrest warrant is going to provide an outline of the evidence that they have against him as well. Like I said, he has a right to know the nature of the charges. He has a right to know what evidence is going to be presented or the basis for holding him, you know, his liberty being uh, taken from him. Now, Allen and the state also face a 30-day deadline to file a motion to seek a change of venue if either side feels that they cannot receive a fair trial, or they potentially feel that the uh, court would be biased against them as it relates to the county in which it is going to be held in. Given the fact that the court has recused themselves, it would seem pretty obvious that they're probably not going to hold the trial in the county in which it's currently being charged. Just makes common sense. The other thing is the trial date, okay? The speedy trial clock has begun counting now it wouldn't surprise me if that early trial in march doesn't uh, proceed there's no way that the defense is going to be able to prepare for this case in that short amount of time assuming mr allen can get an attorney whether he's going to use the public defender but they're going to need to determine where the case is going uh, where should it be tried, and what are the nature of the charges? Any possible defenses? Experts. Very unlikely. And with the two counts of felony murder, which have aggravators, include kidnapping, uh, as well as wrongs against minors, prosecutors could consider on whether to pursue the death penalty for the mur- for the murders of Abby and Libby. Now, the felony murder charge can also be lodged against the defendant who may not have actually committed the killing, but participated in the events that led up to the deaths of the young ladies. It would not surprise me that, like I said, this trial date is not going to go. They're going to need time to prepare, particularly if the state's preparing this case for some period of time against Mr. Allen, although you got to wonder why it took so long, but they they, the prosecutor, should be ready to go, even though they say the investigation is ongoing. Makes me kind of think it's going to be a Lori Ballard type of situation, or could be the type of situation that a prosecutor really isn't ready. It could be an advantage to Mr. Allen, but the reality of it is the prosecution needs to get ready, and this information needs to be released. There's nothing in there that's going to be so so shocking to everybody that we can't handle it, that it's going to affect the trial. Mr. Allen's going to be given the presumption of innocence if jurors are honest in their response to questions in Wadir. they don't think they can be fair and impartial, guess what? Then they just simply are not going to participate. It's that simple. All right. Before we move on to the next story, please, everyone needs to go and get a background subscription service. And how do you do that? You simply go to crimetalksearch.com. You sign up for that background subscription service, and you will be able to do as many background searches as you would like. And it's literally done while you wait. You type in the name, they ask you a couple of questions, and then you get a report literally while you wait, you have an email to you, and it's gonna have information regarding civil judgments, property records, criminal history, someone having to register um, on one of those registries we hear so much about. Yes, those are the type of things you want to know. So if there's somebody new in your life, maybe somebody you are just not getting that warm fuzzy feeling about, now is the time to do it. And listen, you can cancel that subscription at any time But why would you? Because you can check on anything. Heck, if there's cases you talked about here on Crime Talk, put those names in there, you can do that. Check them out, see what else is out there. All right, next on the docket, Alex Murdoch. Prosecutions moving their timeline around, always interesting. And I would note that HBO has a special, some of it's really good, some of it's not so great, a lot of speculation, but for a good context of the Murdoch case, I'm telling you, uh, it's worth the time to watch it. So if you haven't, or you don't have a subscription, uh, do what you can, but it's on the HBO Plus, and it's called Murdoch, The Low Country Murders, or something like that, but uh, it's a good good watch. I think it's three episodes, so it's only three hours of your life. Uh, it's pretty good, so check it out. Let's get to it. Now, as we know, the Murdoch trial is set to begin March 20th of 2023. And according to some new uh, documents filed earlier this week, uh, the prosecution has changed the timeline of the deaths of Maggie Murdoch and her uh, son, Paul Murdoch, whose bodies were found at uh, the Murdoch family hunting property, property in Calhoun County, South Carolina on June 7th, 2021. Now, Alec Murdoch, uh, Maggie's husband and Paul's father, has been charged with their murders and he's pled not guilty claiming to have been at a hospital visiting his alien father when the alleged shootings took place. And according to those filings, prosecutors now believe that Murdoch's were gunned down between 8.30 p.m. and 10.06 p.m. And the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED, had initially set the time between 9 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. Now, Murdoch called 911 and 10.07 that night to say that he found the bodies. But in an August hearing, prosecutors revealed that the video and audio recovered from Paul Murdoch's cell phone recorded a conversation between the three at the hunting property at about 8 44 pm and last week prosecutors said at a hearing that alec murdoch left the property at 9 6 pm before returning to make the 911 call about an hour later the murdochs at the time were having an unspecified marital problem and were uh, living apart as maggie drove to the lodge she reportedly texted a friend saying that alec was acting fishy. He's up to something. Well, Maggie reportedly left her car running when she arrived and walked to the dog kennels, where Paul was taking photographs of a dog he was watching for a friend. Well, Maggie and Paul were shot to death near the kennels, and Paul was shot with a shotgun at close range, and Maggie with multiple gunshots from a semi-automatic rifle. Now, law enforcement officials um, have said that blood spatter was found on Alex Murdoch's clothing, indicating that he was present and nearby when his wife and son were shot. I think that's easily refutable, but that is ultimately why we are going to have the trials. Now I find it interesting when the prosecutors are rather certain about something and then they change the timeline, particularly as it relates to, you know, the time of death, because They've obviously realized that what they previously stated isn't working in their timeline, so they've got to try and fix it. Makes you wonder, the best argument in front of a jury is ladies and gentlemen, the prosecutors don't know what happened. How do they expect you to know what happened? And guess what? That's reasonable doubt, find him not guilty. We'll see how this case continues to uh, turn out. All right, and then finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. So on November 1st, at about 12.30 p.m., officers were called to the PNC Bank um, for a robbery. During their investigation there in Fanville. the police learned that Dennis Wayne Price Jr. allegedly walked up to the teller's window and passed a note, which was written on his pay stub. That's right. The teller reportedly declined his demand after reading the note, but Mr. Price allegedly demanded the money, and then the teller placed an undisclosed amount of cash into an envelope. Price reportedly then left the bank and departed to uh, the scene in a Toyota Camry, which was being driven without authorization, which is code of order stolen. And prior to heading to PNC Bank, Price allegedly went to the Lumby Guarantee Bank and passed in at the drive-through there where they demanded money. The teller reportedly refused to give him any and he drove off. Well, North Carolina State Police located Price in, uh, uh, the nearby county, and he initiated a traffic stop. He was taken into custody without incident, and he's been booked into custody, being held on a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar bond. That's right, uh, bank robbery has gotta be one of the dumbest crimes ever committed. Rarely, if ever, does somebody get away with it at least for very long. And uh, giving your pay stub with your name on it—clearly, not a smart thing to do. Mr. Price, you are a dumb criminal of the day. All right, thanks for watching. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Um, Sorry for the abbreviated version of it, but I am traveling. Got to do some of that lawyer stuff. I know. It gets in the way of doing the fun stuff. Anyway, have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.